you. I'd like for you to open to Matthew chapter 7 again. Matthew chapter 7. And we'll begin again at verse 15. This is our third week that we've been on Matthew 7, 15 through 20. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. We're in no hurry. I'm not because the content of the Sermon on the Mount which has been proclaimed to be in a little package like this is probably the most profound teaching in the New Testament, maybe in the Bible. It's a description of how God wants his people to live under a new covenant. We're his disciples. We're his followers. It's not left up to us to pick good things that are we call good to do and hope that works, but it's for us to lay aside all of our goodness and to read what the Bible says and then make the most necessary decision that you can make. Never easy, but it can be done. I will do this. And in some cases, as we read this, I can say from my own life, some of this was easier to adjust to than others, than some things were. Some of it was kind of like you'd never be able to do that. Nobody can live like this. You read a commentary. Some of the commentaries would say, this is for another age. No man can live like this. And yet it's there before us that this is the way we should live. So I choose to believe that what we think we cannot do, God is able to help us and make us able to do whatever we have to do that he wants us to do. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Therefore, we are without excuse. So we've come to chapter 7. We're talking about his warning to us, the warning of Jesus to us about falsehood and deception. And he warns us quite emphatically in the New Testament about this. We're to take heed that no man deceive you. In the last days, beware of false prophets. And he says it here in this part. And uh, we're to be careful and be cautious. The devil goes about like a roaring lion. He is in people, people in religious settings like now. He can appear as an angel of light, look right, sound right, can use the right words. And yet inwardly, as Jesus says in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They really don't mean what they say. They're really not interested in this becoming your life. They're interested in using whatever means or methods that they can to access you, your admiration, or your property, or your money, usually. So whatever it takes for shrewd and clever men to do that, they will do that. Or they want fame. They want a following. The disciples at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 were warned when Paul was preaching to them. He said, after my departure, remember this, after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, scattering the flock. Not caring about the flock, but wanting a piece of the action, wanting someone to follow them. And their heart is not right with the Lord, and you better be careful because that will happen. God won't prevent it, but it will happen. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 13, he says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you some kind of a sign, and it comes to pass, just like he said, that doesn't mean it's from God, because in this case it wasn't. But it was allowed because he said, this is what is implied, if he teaches you another way than the way that you have heard, you shall not believe or follow that prophet or that dreamer dreams, for the Lord is testing you. So there's things that do come our way that he doesn't stop from coming our way. But he will alert us by his spirit and give us a way to know what's right and what's wrong. And then it's up to you to make application of it. <clears throat> That's why he says beware. That's why he says take heed. That's why things like that come to us in the New Testament. We are the ones that have to make the decision to turn away from evil, to turn to God and do good. We have a will, don't we? Everybody in this room has a will. Our will is called volition in higher circles. And with our wills, we determine how we're going to live. I don't care what you hear. It doesn't matter what you hear or where you go or who you listen to. 
You will do in your life what you choose to do. We're all equal. Nobody has any advantage over anybody else when it comes to this. We live by our choices. If you choose what is right, even though you can't understand or see it, but you choose it because God said it, and you live that way, you're living by faith. You're expecting this to work. You can't prove it's going to work. You're expecting it to work. That's called living by faith, being faithful to God. And if you're not convinced because you live by sight, you won't believe it unless you see it or feel it or there's got to be more to it than this. And you draw back because it cannot be proved in human terms, proven, then you can't live by faith. You won't walk that way, but it's a choice you made. That's the way you chose to live. That was your decision. I make them every day the same as you do. And they're going to result in how we terminate this life, how we come to an end in this life, how our life is terminated. Now, in verse 20, Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. Now, between 15 and 20, he describes a tree, good tree and a bad tree, good fruit, bad fruit. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. Bad trees don't bear good fruit. So their trees are used as examples to show us that you shall know who false people, false brethren, false apostles, false men, false prophets, you will know them by their fruits. So we have a warning, and we're even told how we can know who they are, but it's not always easy to understand that because we have to ask the question, what is fruit? We know if it's an apple tree, eventually apples will appear. If it's a pear tree or a peach tree, eventually pears or peaches will appear. Now, I can't tell looking at a, in a, a tree whether it's a peach, apple, or a grape tree. I can't tell. How many know the grapes? <laughs> Just make sure you're paying attention. The grapes grow on vines. But anyway, I can't tell the difference. I can't tell what kind of tree any of them are by looking at them, but they're eventually we'll all know. Because if you look at it and hang around it long enough, eventually it will tell us, it will reveal to us what kind of a tree it is. It's an apple tree, or well, it's a pear tree, or it's a peach tree. And so eventually you will know what kind of tree you are. Well, the same thing is true with people. You may look like an angel of light right now. You may be a wolf in sheep's clothing, but we can't tell it. I mean, you don't know that yet. And eventually, though, eventually, given enough time or listening to somebody enough, you'll be able to know if they're right or wrong, good or bad. But there is a way that you'll know. And Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. <clears throat> Concerning fruit, the fruit is the evidence of what you do. It's the evidence of what you do. What you say, the fruit of your mouth, things you do, that's fruit. It bears testimony to what's guiding you, motivating you, or leading you. It came from that source. Or fruit, you could also say that uh, fruit identifies the source of your actions or your deeds or your words. All of us are motivated by something. You know that? There's only two. There's only God and the devil, good and bad, right and wrong. That's all there is. And one of those two motivates us. Or if we're Christians and we're growing, we were always motivated by the wrong. We were all corrupt. And as we learn, some of that stuff might hang around until you learn the truth and then you get away from the old and live the new. So we're not all starting out perfect. We have to learn. And as we learn, we have to choose to do. And as we choose to do, the right comes out. But there's got to be a source for fruit to be born. Now, in our case as people, we are what we are in our hearts. Our heart, whatever, whatever is in our heart, will declare the kind of person that we are. Remember Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, or we say as a man, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So whatever is on my mind that I'm thinking about, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, 
Out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaketh. Would you believe that according to that then? If, if in my heart I'm thinking something wrong and I speak something wrong, then wrong is the product of what was already in my heart. It was already there. Or another verse that tells us, and Jesus said, for from within, Matthew, Mark 7, for from within, out of the heart of man flow, and he lists a number of things, and one of those is evil thoughts. So fruit is the product of whatever my heart embraces in my life. If my heart embraces bad, then the fruit of my life will be bad. If my heart embraces good, then the fruit of my life will be good because Jesus said a good tree can't bear bad fruit and so on and so forth. Or think of it like this. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 12, uh, a part of that verse says the root of the righteous, the root, that's that inner core, the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. What is meant by root? The root of the righteous. It messed what we're tapped into, isn't it? Have we been engrafted in? If the source of my life is right, then my fruit will be right. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11 said, Being filled with fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. So if right things come out of my life, who brings them forth? Who's the source of all the right things that we do? Jesus. If it's not Jesus, it's not right. If it's not from Jesus, it's not right. We may think it's right because there is a way that seems right. And everybody applauds that, oh, isn't that noble and good? But if it's not according to what he said, it's not right. And he said, a righteous man yieldeth fruit. And Paul says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Therefore, Matthew 12 says, a tree is known by its fruit. Now, if Christ is in us, if we truly have received him in our life, then it should, we should be able to say that what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do, the way I'm living, is a result of yielding to him. Because as I yield, he comes forth. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. A bad tree, remember what Jesus said? Turn to Matthew 12, you're not that far from it. Matthew 12 and verse 34. He said to the Pharisees, now remember the Pharisees prayed more, did the law more, learned more and knew more than anybody else. They were the religious people in the land. Nobody could outdo these folks with knowing the law, practicing at least what they wanted to practice in the law, being religious. And they put on a show for the people on the street corners with their prayers and their actions and all of the things that they did. Read Matthew 23 about all the ways that they tried to impress people and gain the admiration of people. They did all kinds of things, but not from their heart. Well, it came from their heart, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't from God. It wasn't right. Listen at this, Matthew 12. Are, are you there? Verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Think of that. Could you see that? He said, out of your heart, out of your mouth. You know, a man can act right, can stand in here and preach a sermon say all the right things, gesture right and have the right kind of a look and appeal, can do all of that and can go outside there and stump his toe or his car won't start and say a bad word. Could that happen? Happens all the time. Or somebody say something or something not go his way well and he can throw a fit and be, just be really rude. Are those good fruits? They're not good at all. Some, listen, because we're going to get closer to home here. Something's lacking in that man's life. All them years of going to church, he's still the same person he ever was. Acts the same way he ever acted. He just learned how to do this now. 
He's learned how to gesture and how to act and how to appeal because that's what people want. That's what people come to see and hear. And he learns to do all of that. But when he's on his own, when he's around his buddies and they're fishing, he'll tell a bad joke, laugh at one, or talk about things he shouldn't talk about. He's telegraphing what's really in his heart. And if you're keen spiritually, you'll pick up on that. And you'll know there's something wrong. It's probably a good chance for you to talk to somebody like that. Something's not, not as it should be. You see, if you keep on going over to the book of Titus, Thessalonians, and then Timothy, and then Titus, if you get in that area, you're, you're pretty close. Titus chapter 1. Whew, what a profound scripture concerning what is evil. Titus 1 and verse 16, they profess, they profess that they know God. A lot of people do. In fact, when they don't do right, one of the things you often hear yourself saying, well, I don't think they know the Lord. You ever said that? Listen, there was a time in my life when somebody would say something wrong or act the wrong way or do things wrong, and you'd say, I don't think anybody would do that knows. I don't think he knows the Lord. How could you know the Lord and do that? So knowing the Lord is a way of saying is with the Lord is saved and so forth. They don't know the Lord. Something's wrong here. Well, he says in verse, again, verse 16, they profess that they know the Lord, but in works. Now, we're talking here about fruit, but in works, what they do, they deny him. The word deny can also, it's a word used lots, but it can also mean reject. They know better. They've heard of what is right. But that's not really convenient right now, so they have a way of doing what they think is good enough, and they live on their own way. And as far as all their mistakes and weaknesses that you see, you know what the answer is? It's not repentance. It's, well, who's perfect? Are you perfect? You ever make a mistake? Come on, man. Give me a break. That's the way you dismiss your mistakes and excuse your, your sins. But he said, I didn't write this. He said, but they, they profess to know God. They really do. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient. And again, about your works, in every good work, reprobate. The word reprobate means the opposite of acceptance. It's rejected. Whatever they do, while people accept it, God doesn't. Have you ever heard of ministers at churches uh, becoming sexually perverted, homosexual? Have you ever heard of that ever happening ever in your life, all the years you've lived and breathed in the world? Have you ever heard of that happening? Three of you have. All right. Let me ask you something. Could a man with that problem, that is a problem. Could a man with that problem preach? I know of a case where a man had a church of maybe 15,000. How could you preach to 15,000 people against homosexuality and be one? Could that po- is that possible? Is he false? What he said wasn't false, but what he did sure was. We'll get to all of that in just, just a moment. But a bad tree is a generation of vipers. Try as they may, they, they always give evidence that they've not fully turned the corner spiritually. And they lag back and fall into all of those vulgar things and unnecessary things and money things and all of that. They give themselves away. If you're careful, if you're keen, if you're taking notice. And he says here, they deny the Lord in what they do. Not what they said. They might have said the right things. Because people say, well, they preach about Jesus. Man, he prays for people. You ought to hear this guy pray. I don't care. It don't make you a Christian because you can pray. It doesn't make you saved because you can preach. You don't have to be saved to be a preacher. I don't think every preacher is saved. Anymore than I think all everybody in the congregation is saved. Do you? A good tree bears good fruit. Thank you. A good tree in, in John chapter 15, listen to this. In John 15, what, he, what Jesus said, 
about fruit and a good tree. John 15 and verse 2, 5, and 8. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, wait a minute. What if the branches are say they're in Jesus, but and they're doing Christian things, Christian works, Christian deeds, but not motivated by the Lord. Would that be every branch in me that beareth not fruit? All right. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. That's our source, the vine. I am the vine, you're branches. Now, he that abideth in me... And I in him, the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Folks, this changes the whole thing. I don't care where you go, who you are, or who you know. The only fruit that can be born in our lives acceptable to God is that in which you yield to the lordship of Jesus. He becomes the master of your life, evidenced by the fact that you give way to his way. You can resist because you have a will. You can make excuses because you have a will and you choose to. But as God is leading us to his throne and he speaks to us his word, it is necessary for us to know that if we believe what we heard, it can only be evidenced by acting like it's true. And you yield. You just simply yield to the Lord. And as you yield, he lives and you die. You're doing things his way. Jesus said, there is no other way. Listen, there is, without me, there is nothing else acceptable. Okay, how big you build it, how pretty it is, how much you gave, how far you went, how much time you spent. I don't care if you, whatever you do in this life, the only acceptable thing to God is for a human being to surrender his will to God and evidence that by doing what God said. He shuts his mouth when he should not speak. He has courage to do what he is supposed to do because God said so. It's not what the church is doing. It's what my convictions in the Lord tells me to do, to walk that way. And this is the way we're supposed to live. This is what a, this is what a good tree does. In verse 8, herein is my Father glorified. Herein, by this means, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And by bearing much fruit, you truly become his disciples. What if I said this? Would you amen if I said, Jesus' disciples will always be manifested by yielding to the Lord in his way? You couldn't argue with it. It's a very simple statement. It doesn't seem like there's enough words there for that to be so profound, but it is. It is as simple as me yielding my will to the Lord's way because I am convinced that's what the Lord wants. That's what faith is. I am trusting the Lord because I'm convinced that this is what he wants. And so this is the way we do it. Remember Psalm 103? You know, blessed is a man that walketh not, standeth not, sitteth not. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate day and night. He shall be. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters the rivers of life. And because he's planted there, it implies that's his source. His power comes from that water. And as that flows through the roots into the tree, the Bible said he always bears his fruit in his season, and it never withers and never fades. You know what? I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I don't think that's just biblical poetry. I think that's life, that our lives should be daily expressions of a living Christ. 
in your, in your body, with your background and your face and your parents and your culture, wherever you came from, me and mine, we're all different, we're all unique, but all of us together, as we grow, as we become, it is, it is only right if it's expressing Christ in us, mastering us, us yielding to him, and it's no longer, as Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Something that I want to let y'all in on tonight. This is, this is for me. I'm going to do this for me for two minutes, okay? 90, Psalm 92. This is for Brother Tom. Psalm 92. This is my woo-wee. Woo-wee, you know what I mean. Uh, this is Brother Tom's woo-wee. So next time you turn to Psalm 92, see, you know Brother Hamilton said something about Psalm 92, it being his woo-wee psalm. Well, Psalms 92, verse 13 and 14 I don't know if you all, not all of you can qualify here. Probably only a few of us can qualify for this, but I certainly think that I'm probably due. Let me get it for you. Verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now, that could be all of you, couldn't it? So what's so exclusive? What's all this Hamiltonish thing about it? Well, get the last verse. Verse 14, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Come on now. Now, fat doesn't mean dumpy. <laughs> fat is a word for richness. It's a word that expresses wellness and wholeness and abundance, thriving and doing well. Listen what, he's really not my friend, I don't know him yet, but one day I will, Spurgeon, the uh, master of old, Spurgeon said, this is in his quote, they do not drag out a wretched, starveling existence, talking about old people, verse 14, All right, but are like trees full of sap, which bear luxuriant foliage. Boy, you like that. God does not pinch his poor servants and diminish their consolations when their infirmities grow upon them. Now, infirmities, meaning their weaknesses. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't run near as fast as I used to. Can't whip any of my kids anymore. You're older. You're different. You don't see as well. Maybe hear as well. You don't have to be like that, but it just seems like it happens. Whatever it is, in spite of anything and all of it, Rather does he see to it that they shall renew their strength, for their mouths shall be satisfied with his own good things. Fat and flourishing. Well, that's not my message tonight, but I just want to take a little time because I enjoy that. See, we're not abandoned because we're aged. I'm not old. If you're 20, I'm old. But now that I've gotten finally past 60, I realize that what I used to think was old is not old anymore. But even in old age, and there's more, to, I taught on this subject once, even as you grow older, things don't diminish. For there is a different dimension, a different setting in your life, and, and you can enjoy things in your older age and get as much derive as much benefit then as you did when you were young and frisky. And the young and frisky says, what a poor soul. While there's one over here that's enjoying sitting on the porch watching birds eat. Can look at this young bunch running around with the, missing all the fun in life because they, you know, it's just we're all in different places. I'm just saying that that God has a way that even when you're older, you still bear fruit. You're not left out of his picture for his people. God takes notice of all of his people, concentrates his blessings towards them, whether you're old or young. And I'll guarantee you this, God can take as good a care of me as an older man than he did when I was a younger man, because God is God. He is unlimited. Age doesn't matter to God. The time we're in doesn't matter to God. That's why the Bible means the same thing today as it did when it was first written. 
Times have changed, but this word, this word is eternal and forever. It'll never change. It's like the Lord. He changes not. But I thought you might like that in Psalms 92, verse 13 and 14. Just remember those words someday. And uh, they shall be fat and flourishing. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. I'm going to be useful to the Lord as long as I live. How about you? There will never be a time in my life that there could not be something that God would have for me to do. When it comes to that, it's time to go home. What a wonderful day that'll be. Amen. Now, thus our judgment in this life is, as Jesus said, about the warning about false prophets, you know them by their fruit. Our judgment then, when we reach the end of our life and we stand before God, it's not about how hard we tried, how many places you went or how many thousand sermons you preached, not who you knew and, and where you went. You'll stand before God and a righteous judge, which is what God is, will judge us according to our works and our deeds. This is how we will all be judged. Let me read for you this. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, if deeds and fruit are the, talking about the same thing, not the same word, but talking about the same thing, if the fruit of my life amount to the deeds that I have done, then that's the way I'll be judged. Or in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 19, for thine eyes are open unto all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Did you hear that? God's eyes are open unto all the ways of men, the way all of us live. The choices we're making, God's watching. And he will render unto us according to our ways, according to the fruit of our doings. Another verse in Jeremiah says, The Lord searches the hearts. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins of the heart, the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You need to take note, all of us do, that everything we do is adding up, good or bad. If the fruit, the deeds, and the works of our life are as unto the Lord or are directed by the Lord, we're endeavoring to do the will of God from our hearts, then good can only be looked forward to. You can only look forward to good. But this is the way we'll be viewed at the end. This is the way God will deal with his people in the end. How can we tell then, back to where we started, where I want to finish tonight, where we're going, how then can we tell the false from the true? I know it says fruits. Is there a specific way to know this? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, this is what we're told to do. Now, in the little epistle or little book of 1 John, there was a lot of error going around saying that Jesus had not come in the flesh a lot of things that were just really off base. And John is writing to correct this and to tell his people where they are and, and what's right. And he begins in verse 4 by saying, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Note the relationship here, trying the spirits, and false prophets. Because the implication is that when a man is false, something in him is of another spirit. That it's not the spirit of God that prompts a man to be deceitful, divisive, or deceptive. The spirit of God never leads us to do that. And when a man is like that, it's because of another spirit that runs his life. Uh, there's a lot of interesting teaching about spirits, evil spirits. They're called demons in the Bible. 
how they inhabit people and when they do what they do. And they're described in many different ways. They're blind spirits. They're deaf spirits and dumb spirits that people can't hear. It's a spirit. They can't speak because of a spirit. Spirits of infirmity. Different kinds of infirmities are revealed in the Bible. Jesus cast out spirits with his word. So behind the scenes, working in all of these damaging ways the devil works, just a spirit. It's not recognized today in the church by God's people, so it hardly ever gets dealt with. The thought today of casting out demons is kind of a, a strange thought. Yet Mark 16 said it's one of the signs that follow believers is that believers will deal with spirits because we begin to recognize spirit activity because you see what's going on that's prompted by these spirits. Now, he says in 1 John 4, in verse 1, he says, try the spirits. Put them to the test. Measure them and see what kind of a spirit is behind this. Because he said, there are many false prophets going out in the world, and therefore I would say that any false prophet has a false spirit. 2 Corinthians 11 Paul said, if somebody comes to you and preaches another Jesus, is there a modern-day Jesus today? He doesn't do what he used to do. They say those things have passed away. Jesus is not like that now. Well, how is he like? So they fabricate a modern Jesus, a contemporary Jesus, a new way. It's not according to the Bible, but, you know, the Bible's outdated too. That's why you get a lot of these nifty new translations that, that are not accurate. But people don't care. Prophesy smooth things. Prophesy illusion. Remember that? So they come down to the place where you ask yourself, what kind of a spirit is behind all of this? There has to be a spirit because not only did, did he say, if you receive another Jesus, he also said, or you receive a different spirit. Second Corinthians 11, 3. The serpent beguiled Eve, and as he did, he gained access to her will. Didn't he? All he said was, hath God said? Bring that down into modern, today, contemporary terms. He said, now, do you really think that's what he said? See, I might not want to live that, that way, so I say, well, now, is that really what he said, or is that just your version of it? People have the idea that you can, you can understand the Bible any way you want to. You can translate any way you want to, or you can pick and choose who you want to follow because you like what one says better than the other one. That's itching ears, the last days, heaping to yourselves. Itching ears, turning aside from the word and turning to fables. We don't have that luxury. That's a danger. So we have this, this thought we have to deal with about... The person I'm listening to, what spirit is in this person? You could say that tonight about me. I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect, and I'm certainly not telling you that I have a demon, because I don't. You should examine the things I say, shouldn't you? You shouldn't believe it because I said it. If the life doesn't measure up with the message, and you, don't, you shouldn't listen to it, really. But that, I mean, that's what we all are responsible to do. This earth that I've lived on for the last 50-plus years, 60 years, maybe 70 now, all these years on this earth, I've seen movements come and go. I've seen things rise up out of something, and the world just goes, oh, oh this is God. I've seen it over and over again. And it seemed like each of these movements leaves a trail of woe. It just, everybody got so excited. The preacher got on the bandwagon. Everybody, oh man, this is God. And you turn around. It wasn't much of God because it only lasted two or three years. And when you're done, people can't remember it or wonder how they got mixed up in all of that. How did they? Was there a spirit in all of that? Was there a deceptive, deceiving, misleading spirit? Would the devil do that? Could the devil do that? Could the devil ever be a lying spirit in the mouth of prophets? Could he? We read that in the Bible. 
I will go into these prophets and be a lying spirit, and my lies will deceive those who don't want truth but love lies, and they'll believe it. And they'll be damned, damaged, or ruined by it. It doesn't have to be because we're warned about it before it happens. But if we don't pay attention, if we don't give uh, the more uh, earnest something, heed to the things which we have heard, what will happen to those words? They will slip. How do they slip? Is the spirit involved there or is it just us being lazy? Well, let me see. Maybe there is a spirit. Let me see. A sower went forth to sow. And he sowed some seed on the stony soil and some on the thorny soil and some on good soil. They said, Lord, what does that mean? He says, well, remember the one that's sown on the stony soil. He understandeth it not. Remember that? And then the devil comes and taketh away from him that which he had received. He doesn't have it anymore. Oh, I was there back in the old days of the heydays, and yet you're losing the battle now because you've forgotten what you learned. I'm looking back 30 years ago at people I knew and places I used to be, whooping and hollering and carrying on, and today they're just either sad or they've already quit. Now, something was wrong with that. What was wrong with all of that? Or all those people? I learned it wasn't the message that was wrong, but there was something wrong with the way people understood it or applied it. It became difficult and rude, picky, legalistic, couldn't get along with them. Well, they're all gone now. Was there a spirit behind that? Was the devil working overtime to mislead these people? Say yes. Okay, we're told and warned, test the spirits whether or not they're of God. For there are many kinds of spirits, he said, that have gone out into the world today in these false prophets. Jesus commended in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, in verse 2, he said, Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So they tested these apostles. Oh, I'm an apostle of God. Somebody comes in here and says, Brother Hamilton, I'm a prophet. I had a man do that. I, this has happened several times in my life. But recently, the l most recent was probably five, six years ago, down at our seminar in Knoxville. He's a prophet of God. I said, good, good. Now, he wanted me to acknowledge that and for me to say, oh, you're a prophet of God. See, I'm too old for that now. I'm thinking, based on what are you a prophet? Who says? What declares that you are a prophet? You think you can walk into a church full of strangers and say you're a prophet, and we must all acknowledge that before you level a curse on us for not acknowledging that? Had that happen once. Cursed are you and all us. Get out of here. All of that, that don't bother me. You know, I know what I believe. I know where I am. This apostolic movement that's called so today apostles. The apostolic movement says today that unless your church has an apostolic covering over it. Apostle, some apostle is the father to your church and your pastor submits to him as the apostolic covering. Because if you don't have that, then your church is full of orphans. And so my question is, now that they got all kinds of ideas and theologies. I usually dismiss all of that and turn the page. But that's not even worth trying to prove. People like that. They like the notoriety of being an apostle. They say, who made you one? Have you seen Jesus? Where are apostles today? Well, if I've seen one, I didn't know it. If I've seen a real true prophet today, I didn't know it. I'm not saying they haven't been here because angels, you can entertain angels un unaware, and I didn't know that either except I might live with one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's what she said to say right there. Tell them I'm an A, okay? <laughs> it is amazing today how easy it is for Christians to be deceived. 
to be misled and to think wrong. It's just so easy because we're more moved by what we see and how we feel about what we see than we are about what we have seen that registers with the truth, registers with the word. It's not easy to always tell who they are, but we are supposed to try them. The Bible says in the last days there will be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Have any of you ever seen a, a demon, a spirit? I mean, have you, have you ever seen a manifestation of a spirit? Well, I have once. So these seducing spirits then obviously don't come to a pulpit they have to come in a pulpit in somebody. Amen? Just like in John 13, when Judas betrayed Christ, in John chapter 13, the Bible said that the devil entered into Judas. And he not only did what he did, but as the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, he committed suicide, killed himself. That's the wages of sin. You play with fire, you don't pay attention, you'll be deceived. You not give more earnest heed to what you have heard, you will wish one day you've had because the devil will make a feast of you. I'm not trying to make you scared because I don't think I could. I'm just saying that we are warned. We are told these things are going to happen. These things are coming. That we need to be prepared, sober, vigilant, we need to know of his devices and his clever mechanisms and ways that he works. Because if we don't, he'll start doing things in our midst, and we won't know how to know that. Well, he talks about Jesus all the time. He likes the women, but he talks about Jesus all the time. So things like that happen. How do we know? There's two ways, two simple ways that I think you can put all the other things in this and add more to it than what I'm going to say tonight. But two things. One, their doctrine is false. Now, not all of them, not all false people preach false things. But the ones that do, the ones who mislead people doctrinally, preach falsehood. Now, whether they are ignorant and haven't learned yet, that's honest ignorance. I've been there. I think you have too. We used to live, you know, I was in a Christian church growing up. That's the only way I knew you should do it. When I got saved, I found there was a different way. And so you had to learn to adjust. So, I mean, we're growing. But when you know something is wrong, and you know that if you preach that, you might lose people, or you might, I don't know if I want to live that way myself or not, you'll avoid that. Or if you do say that, you'll misrepresent or you'll rest those scriptures so people won't leave and be upset with you because you're so hard. And so that person is on the edge of being false, if not false already. But a seducing spirit, the doctrine of a demon is exactly that. It's a spirit in a man that comes to do one thing, and that's mislead. The devil's good at it. He's a master of it. He did it in the very beginning when he appeared to Eve, and he said, hath God said? And he used this reasonable, worldly way of reasoning things. He said, do you really think God meant that? I mean, come on. If you died, what would Adam do? It couldn't mean that. couldn't mean that at all. And why would he create a world that says it's all good and then make a fruit and says that is bad, that you can't eat that? Come on, girl, you know, God knows if you eat that, probably you'll be like him and he'll have competition. Well, she began to think about that. And you know the story. That's why we're all dead. That's why we all died. Had to be saved, born again. So the devil's a crafty spirit. He has people he can use. By the sly of men, he said in Ephesians chapter 4, lying in wait to deceive. They're waiting out there. They're lining up all over the world. The end times is going to see deception like we've never seen it before. The Bible will say, as John said, the world lieth in wickedness. First John 5, it lieth in wickedness. Who is the spirit of the power of the air? The devil. 
Who was it before we got saved that worked in us in Ephesians 2? You remember that? The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience? It was the spirit that made us the way we were. We were unclean. We had nothing to offer God. I went to church every Sunday, sang in the choir, etc. But I was as lost and undone and as unclean as, as a man could be. Vile and wicked in my thinking. God in his tolerance and long-suffering, I'll never be able to overpraise him for that. But folks, when it comes to what you're hearing, to what people are saying, I don't care if it's in this room, from this place, radio, what a book you read, a magazine, a gift, a traveling preacher. Listen, if they speak not according to this word, if it's Isaiah 8.20, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. If it looks good and it sounds right, or as Jesus said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? We think we're seeing things right, and yet when we look at the Bible, it's not right at all. We don't want to give it up because it costs us something. I might lose my friends, and I did. I might say bad things about you. I never had that happen, but it happens. It's just that this is a life that is you and God. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You can't depend on somebody else to do your believing for you, your reading for you, your studying, or your praying for you. It's you and him. He saved you. He brought you to him and presents you with his way. Whether or not you want to live that way, it's up to you because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Sin is what severs your relationship with God. It's Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Paul said to the Galatian church, I want to read this one, 1 and verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Folks, there are many, it seems, it seems to me. I'm not an expert. I'm not the one you measure anything by. But there's too many people saying too many different things today. Too many people have too many opinions about what is right. My opinion doesn't count. It's what the Word says it counts. I'm either there or I'm not. Or I may not be smart yet and be ignorant about truth and want to be there, but it's all about the Word. I marvel, he said, that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of of Christ into another gospel. Who preached it? Who did you listen to? And the next verse says, what happens to, in the eyes of God? This is God's judgment on falsehood. He said in verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That would pervert the gospel of Christ? That's, that's, that's right. And he says, if any man brings to you any other gospel than this one, let him be anathema. Somewhere in this first chapter here, let it be accursed. The word accursed is anathema, and it means for a curse to be on your life. And a curse can be on a lot of people's lives, and they don't know it. They can't feel it. I mean, they're just average liver. I mean, things don't work for them any better than anybody else, and they go through the same problem everybody else does. That's not a curse, is it? They don't know how to turn to the Lord. They don't want to trust the Lord. They're not interested in the Word. Could that be a curse? Folks, when the blinders are put on, that's a curse. He that believes on the Son of God hath life. And he that believeth not the Son of God, hath not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, we have to use that also because we don't have the luxury or the option of something other than the way God has said, this is the way, walk ye in it. 
I mean, you can, you know, you can take the verse in Second Peter. You don't have to turn to that. Is Second Peter chapter two, and the, and and well, the whole chapter Second Peter describes falsehood. But he talks about how how we're snared, and how things happen to us. And in verse 16 of 2 Peter 2, he talks about how people that are unlearned and unstable rest the Scriptures, distort the Scriptures, change what it actually says to say something else. And then he ends that verse by saying they do this to their own destruction. Do you think God has feelings about falsehood? You'd be accursed if you, if you change it. If you say something besides the gospel and mislead people spiritually, is that a curse? It is a curse. Let me ask you a question. How do you know you're not being misled? All of you. How do you know you're not being misled? What are you going to go by? All you've got's the word. It's the only thing we have to measure anything by. If they, if they speak not according to this word, he said, it's because they have no light. The only source we have to prove the rightness or the wrongness of anything is the word of God. I mean, that's all we have. Jesus said this, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. Jesus said the verse before, he said, I didn't come to judge. I came to give you the word. If you don't want to receive the word, you don't, nobody's going to make it. You don't want to walk this way, nobody's going to make it. But Jesus said in the end, when it's judgment day, he said, this word will judge us. What did you do with it? We had opportunity. Hamilton, what did you do with it? You know, I, a thought came to me not too long, oh, five, six years ago, in meditating and, and pondering some things. Maybe it was 10 years ago. But the thought came to me once. As I began to examine my life, who I am, who I really am, and God and I know, and I had, to, I had to conclude that examination with this. After all these years of doing what I'm doing, this is as far as I've come. I should be further along than this. You say, well, how do we? Well, I'm just saying where I am. I say, you know, after 40 years, how much should you know? How far should you go in 40 years? 43, isn't it? 43. How far? How long? How far should we be? Of what kind of character and personality should we have? Because you see, the second thing, not only do we check people out by doctrine, what they're saying, if they're not speaking the word of God, then there's something wrong with them. And the second way that I, that I think you can judge people is by their character, by how they live, how they act. Whose wife is he with when he travels? How would you know? You've never seen him before. The preacher invited him in. He met him at a conference, invited him in. He speaks. His wife, I guess that's his wife. He might have four or five of them. I don't know. How would you know? Would you want to ask him? He might get mad if you ask him. Or maybe you should ask the preacher, where's he from? I don't know. The preacher says, where's your home church? He might say, I don't, I don't have a home church. Oh, so you're sort of the Lone Ranger. Or you're a cruise-o-matic. You don't have anybody that you have to answer to. You have no church that kind of oversees what you're doing and prays for you as you go out and accept you when you come back. You don't have any, anything. You don't have a home base. Well, maybe the church isn't necessary. Maybe we don't need that. Just get you a Bible and learn a sermon and head for the wherever they are. I ask him. Call him up. Where is your home base? Okay, Pastor so-and-so, yes, this is so-and-so from so-and-so. Yes, a so-and-so is here. Preacher so-and-so is here. Can you give me any information about him? Is he okay? And he might say, that man caused more trouble here. He split my church, ran off with secretary. Okay, is that who he's with now? It'd be hard telling. What should the pastor then do? Confront this marvelous preacher. Let's say like one man that came... To Charlestown, Indiana, years ago. 
This guy was a preaching machine. He was a foreigner, but boy, he had those penetrating, piercing eyes, and he could, he could make you cry. Now, he could, and he could get down and talk about, about Jesus, and, and boy, you're almost like you were there. I mean, it's really gifted. And then that night, he tried to entice one of the young ladies in our church to come over to his motel to pray with him about some things. Uh-huh. She even said, how did you get my number? It's not listed. He said, the Lord showed me. What would you say to that? I know what we did. We went to the preacher. The girl called us, told us. I went to the preacher. I was good friends, real close to him. This happened, Brother John, and we got to do something about this. This guy ain't right. You know what the preacher said? How can you say that man isn't right? Did you hear him preach last night? See, he was basing the rightness of this man by what he said, not what he was doing. We called another man. I could tell you uh, a nationally known ministry, one of the big names. We were told that he would know something. We called him. And he said, the man is a fraud. We called another man in uh, Florida. He said, He's, he seduced my daughter. Talked to another man that I respect and admire more than any of them. He said, he tried to seduce my daughter. So what do you do with a guy like that? You can't fault his preaching. Soon I shall hear, oh man, this guy could preach. And just sit there like owls on limbs. And yet, when it was over, he's sizing up the congregation. There's a single lady, had a baby out of wedlock. She'd be an easy target because nobody probably, yeah, well, she did it once, she'll do it again. Maybe I could get her. Everywhere he went, he tried it. The preacher wouldn't reject that because he said this man was a real deal because of this. And that was a big breakup in his life and my life because I said the guy is a fraud. Another well-known man was at a meeting in Louisville. We went over there and told him, I said, we'll bring you tape. He said, I don't want to hear the tape. I know who he is, and I know what he's like. He's false. And having heard this man preach, it's hard to say this guy was false, but he was. A great ministries, nationally known ministries said this guy was false, and yet he was accepted because of this or that. Let me give you in closing tonight five things. Let's make it four. They'll all start with an S. Five traits that give away a man's character as being false. These things, not all of them, but one or one of the four. Sex. The Bible is full uh, of false people, like in the book of Jude, carousing in daytime, lusting after the flesh full of lust and wantonness. Who's he talking about? He's talking about false people. What I just told you about the man and what he did gave him away. His character was bad. He was an adulterer. Second thing is sloth. Sloth comes into man's life when he begins to live the luxury life, <clears throat> quits putting his heart and soul into what he's doing, quits, quits trying. I think I've seen this happen. He backed away from his energetic earlier days when he, was, when he was really interesting to listen to and got a pretty good side. Well, he got a worldwide following and just sort of strolled through the sermon, preached the same old stuff all the time, and just sort of gave up on preparing himself and, and giving his heart in what he's doing every time he does it. Another one, money. You suppose there's any preacher in the world that preaches for money? Turn your TV on, turn your television on, and watch them. They don't even make any bones about it. They really don't. I remember one time a nationally known, the biggest, I guess, was pleading with people for $7 million, said he would die if he didn't get it, six or seven. Man had two houses, a jet airplane, worth several million dollars, begging for money. I X that one out. 
And people give, but the ones that give, mostly the ones that can't hardly afford to give. They'll sit, you know, draw a picture, draw a picture of my hand. There's a handprint, and you send with this paper your, your gift and give as much as you can, your seed money, and you put it in this envelope, and you lay hands on it on this paper, and when it comes in, I'll take that out, and I'll lay hands on that paper, and God will bring into your life all this money. And these poor souls, they, one of these preachers was exposed once. They saw the mail coming in. They had a, somebody had a camera. They were opening up the envelopes, taking the check out and throwing the letters and the, all the things that these poor souls wrote down, oh, pray for them. They threw them all away. And he had said one time, when I got through praying, I had ink on my shirt from where I labored, laying on all this mail, praying for it. And they showed them in the TV, uh, throwing it, in a, you know, just throw it all in the trash can. The dumpster was full of these envelopes. And yet the preacher said, I spent hours praying over your prayers. Is that a deceiver? Well, that is. House burnt down. Oh, we walked through the house. Oh, here's the base of our house. And all oh, folks, it was just a house. And God will get me another. And he had another one. Two big swimming pools with the other one. This house had oomph, mucho square feet. The little one burned down. The one that only had five or 6,000 square feet burned down. And they made a big scene about, oh, you know, God, some way we can, people will help us build. And they sent him buckets full of money until he got caught. And he was exposed. I'm glad, praise God he was exposed. And today, if you talk about prosperity or healing, people think you're one of them. Well, in closing, the last one here is about as bad as any of them is self <clears throat> It's all about me. It's all about me. Look at me. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look how many people I've, look how many books I've written. Look at, look at, look at, look at all about me. Follow me. You couldn't be wrong with all these people. Follow me. I've done this. I've done that. My syndicated this and that. It's all about me. It's my picture that's on what you buy from me. Can't put this mug in on anything else anymore. It's all changed. How many of you know this life ain't about a man? But people buy into that because they're so easy to deceive. You got sex, silver, self, and sloth. Luxury, leisure, and then whatever else with lust. You can make something that else. Pay close attention, watch what's going on, listen to what people are saying, and don't be caught off guard. Amen. Would you bow your head? Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word. Your word, Jesus said, is truth. I pray that you will open our eyes, all of us, to receive what you've said, to believe it that nobody here tonight would believe what I've said because I said it, but would examine and search the Scriptures to see if this is true and then believe it because the Scripture says it. Let grace find its way into our heart, Lord, to continue to lead us and convict us of ourselves and our sin. May we be all led in the way of righteousness. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.